Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. was getting ready to say some really nice things about Trey, and then I feel like he took a couple cheap shots there. Um, man, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to challenge him to a push-up contest the next time I see him or something, just to like restore, restore the throne, if you know what I mean. So, uh, but man, anyway, it's so good to, to be here with you guys. Uh, I don't consider myself the grandfather, but maybe the awkward dad or something. I don't know. Uh, but man, I, Trey, Trey's been just telling me what God is doing, uh, just numerically, and what you've been seeing happen here, and it's so cool. Uh, every time I'm here to hear stories of life change, uh, and just to celebrate what what God is starting here. Uh, I know you're not supposed to get your phone out during church, but I was sitting up here, and I was glad you said it, Nick. I was like sitting up there, having a tear come to my eye, just hearing like people like almost like shouting, worshiping, and I'm like, I'm gonna get an audio recording of this. So. <laughs> I'm literally just up here like taking a video because I, I want to be able to explain to my wife and people at our church like, hey, what, what is God doing here? And I felt in that moment, I'm, I could hear you singing and I'm like, that is, that is what God is doing in this church and in that moment. And so I took, took a little video there. I'll send it to you later if you want me to, all right? But um, man, I wanted to um, just, just give you guys a, an update on my life and, uh, and my family. I think I sent a family pic this week. Maybe you guys have it back there. Maybe you don't. Uh, today is actually my 18th anniversary, so if you want to, if you want to, if you want to know how to not be romantic uh, on your 18th anniversary, uh, you go to one church and your wife goes to another. That's what you do. So uh, my whole family is just so entrenched in the life of Movement Church, uh, the church that planted contrast here. Uh, that, that when I go places, they're like, "Dad, we want to go to our church. We're serving." And so I'm like, "Okay, cool. Well, I'll see you guys at lunch then." So. Uh, there's the crew, uh, but you can see Kristen looking better than ever. Huh? Am I right? Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, we're celebrating 18th anniversary. Malachi is 14, and he's right at that awkward time where, like, every time we pass each other in the hallway at the house, he's like trying to see if he's taller than me now. Um, so I often shove him and just kind of like say, "This is my house and my domain and stuff like that." Uh, I don't do that if you're listening from children's services. That was a terrible joke. Um, but he, he's 14. Uh, Kanan on the end there is 12. He's playing soccer. Uh, Mercy in the gray there has a championship soccer game today. Uh, so uh, she's going to be playing in that. I will be there getting sunburn on my head. Uh, and then there's, there's Zion there. She, uh, she's turned seven, and uh, she uh, wants to be a stitches nurse when she grows up. That's what she tells me. So I'm, I'm the weirdo that enables her, and I had met one of my friends that was in med school, and you can actually buy a kit of like rubber skin on Amazon when you're in med school. I bought that for my daughter for Christmas, and we, like, sutured that thing shut. It has, like, all these holes in the skin. So that's who I am as a dad. That's a family update, and that's, that's who we are uh, as a family. But the reason I uh, talk about my family, my kids are getting old enough. They're starting to ask um, just, like, funny questions. You know, we'll, we'll do certain things. We're like, Dad, why do we do this? Why does that happen? You know, not, they're not just asking, um, hey, why, why do we have to go to church anymore? They're asking things like this. Dad, why do we have to mow the yard? because you want to make your kids mow the yard as soon as they're of age, okay, if you don't know that. Uh, so I, I make them mow the yard. They'll say, why do, we, why do we have other people live with us? We've often had other people living with us throughout their life. They'll say, Dad, why don't we drive new cars like other families? Awkward question, right? Uh, they'll say, Dad, why do we give money to the church? Uh, sometimes they'll say, Dad, why does everyone except for me in sixth grade have a phone? 
That's an actual question. And uh, I often have started to realize that some of their questions point to key values that we have as a family. And I heard a speaker uh, this last year say that kids will pick up your values but not your boundaries. And so it's important in the way that we, we raise our kids, we raise our family, and we point out to them exactly why we're doing what we're doing. And so I got so into this uh, fatherhood thing and this values thing that last year I sat down and I was like, man, I don't want to just have some things that I'm kind of like chasing. I wrote down our family values, all right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these to you really quick. And yes, I'm this nerdy of a dad, right? But I, I don't want this to be the distraction or the point of our morning, so I didn't put them up on a slide because the point of this is not to say, hey, look at, look at our family or anything. But this is what I say to our kids. I try to use these phrases over and over again because this steers why we do certain things and why we, we live the way we do. We want to live Jesus-centered lives. We value the wisdom in God's word. We live the gospel. We love God and people more than things. We value hard work, creativity, vision, and attempting great things. We say what love requires. We live in fortress community. We take care of what God has given us. That's the reason you mow the yard. That's what I tell them, okay? So just go along with that. Uh, We will be generous with our wealth and rest, Sabbath, vacation, fun, and making memories are important. Now, like I said, I don't want you to to write those down. I'm not here to say like, oh, I'm a great dad or I'm a family. I, I go back on those all the time. I mess those up. I don't live those out. But I've tried to instill those in my kids so they understand our, our boundaries and our vision and, and what we want to do. And the reason that I wanted to, to read that to you today, uh, because uh, you, you kind of know it now that I've been proclaimed the grandfather of a network. Wow, that's insulting, but kind of fun to hear at the same time. Uh, we are a family, and we are a family of churches. And we have a network of churches, and we have a DNA that unites us in mission. We have a DNA uh, that, that puts us on the same mission, and whether you like it or not, you're a part of that family, and you're a part of that mission, and I am your spiritual grandpa, I think is the, is the point of this morning. But our family has a, a certain way that we operate, a certain way that we function, a certain way that we do church, and the way that we do that at a YMCA in Hilliard, or at a middle school in Gehanna, or a converted warehouse space in Grandview is not exactly the same. But our values are the same. Our boundaries are the same. And maybe you've wondered, hey, why does this church value scripture? I've been to some churches and they read one verse. This this church reads a whole paragraph or a whole chapter and it's kind of exhausting. Why do they do that? Or why do they sing songs the way they do? Or why do they go beyond their walls, as you've already heard? Why do they interact with the community? Why do they partner with organizations? Why do they reach out? Why do they do the bread and the cup? Why do they take communion every week? And maybe you've thought, I, I, I think Man, is this what's what's wrong with this network? Sometimes I think things could be bigger if we would just focus on here, and yet we're taking a morning to talk about church planting. And today is your lucky day, I guess you could say, because I want to just kind of outline some of the things that we see in the Book of Acts, some of the things that hopefully you've seen in the DNA of Contrast Church and Three Creeks Church and Movement Church. I want to talk about the DNA of our family and why we value multiplication and why we value the way that we do church. It's not an accident, the way that we live mission. In fact, there's a great point behind it. And so my my big idea for this morning is going to be this, as we get into a passage in the book of Acts. Repentance leads to multiplication. Repentance leads to multiplication, but not just in one spot. We believe that repentance leads to multiplication here and there. 
Where is there? Wonderful question. So let's dig into a passage together. We're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 41 today. I know that you guys have been going through the book of Acts. And so we're going to be in Acts 2, 37 to 41. And I want to just give a, a little bit of background. I know many of you know uh, the book of Acts, but maybe it's your first time here, first time at, at church in a while. Uh, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of the life and ministry of Jesus. Ultimately, they tell the story of Jesus coming and, and giving his life for our sins. And the final words in the book of Matthew are this. It's called the Great Commission, where Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus had come and, and lived his life and given his life and set the gospel in motion. And he said, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Those of you that are here and are going to advance the gospel, advance truth, your job is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And in fact, as the book of Acts kicks off, Jesus says this. I'm sorry, it says this. He, he goes up to heaven and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the farthest parts of the earth. And so Jesus says, your job is to make disciples. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and, and makes that happen in Acts chapter 2. And last week, I know that Trey kind of highlighted this passage where the Holy Spirit showed up and the local church was born. And Peter was able to kind of jump up in that moment and say, all right, this is the moment that God has for me. And he shares the gospel. He kind of connects the dots of history and time and Judaism and the life and ministry and death of Jesus and kind of brings it all together from the Great Commission and all those things. And so that sets up Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 41. Let me read this to you here. It says this. Now when they heard this, this is talking about the crowd that Peter had been addressing, they were acutely distressed and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do, brothers? Verse 38 says this, Peter said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this perverse generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added. The Holy Spirit had shown up. The church was being born. The gospel was going forward. Disciples were being made, and Peter is kind of connecting the dots, as I said, in this moment, and he's, he's laying the groundwork for the gospel, what people have seen in motion. In verse 38, he basically points out, hey, you've been walking the wrong way. You're supposed to be going this way. We've all been walking away from God. We've seen sin take hold in our lives and in our patterns. And he says, you're far away from God. But in verse 40, he, he outlines the fact that God is going to call you to himself. You were made to be his children. You were created to be his children. You're far away from him, and he's going to call you back home to himself. And in verse 38, he points out that Jesus gave his life to pay for your sins. And through him, through recognizing his sacrifice, through identifying with his sacrifice, you can be made whole and you can be forgiven. And in verse 38, he says, listen, you're going to be given the Holy Spirit as you live this mission, as you advance the gospel. And he's setting up all of these things. And so we see that repentance leads to multiplication because Peter has shared the gospel. The gospel leads to repentance. And repentance leads to multiplication. 
This is probably one of the coolest stories if you're a church planner because you get to see a moment where 3,000 people come to know Jesus, where they give their lives to him and where they're, they're baptized and they're added to the church. And I think sometimes we think like, well, man, I've never, I've never seen that. I think multiplication can, lo- can look a lot of different ways. And so sometimes we think like, well, how do I get this DNA? What, what can I say that can, can put 3,000 people in the church in the DNA of our family has this message. The DNA of our family has the gospel. We talk about repentance and we try to facilitate multiplication, but we always wonder, well, what, what's, what's wrong or why am I not seeing this? And I want to encourage us with this today. Everything that you've seen in this story, everything you're going to see in the book of Acts, you're experiencing and you have access to. Nothing that these believers had was unique to their time. They had the great commission to go and make disciples. So do we. They had the Holy Spirit. Sometimes as suburban people, we, we like to act like we don't, right? But, but we have the Holy Spirit. We have the great commission. We have the Holy Spirit. They had the church. Guess what you have? That's where you are today. That's who we are as the church. And they had the gospel. We have all of the things that we see in the book of Acts. We have all of the major players and we're asked to do the same thing, to take the gospel to the world and to multiply disciples. But here's the thing, that looks a lot of different ways. And so as we think about multiplication, as we think about what it means to take the gospel, to live the Great Commission, I want to remind us of this, that what does multiplication look like? Well, it can, it can look like this. It can look like multiplying believers. It can look like multiplying believers. It can look like multiplying leaders. It can look like multiplying groups And it can look like multiplying churches. In fact, we believe the gospel multiplies itself in all of those ways. Healthy things multiply, and that means healthy believers multiply. That means healthy believers become leaders. That means leaders multiply their impact and multiply their groups, and multiplying groups become multiplying churches. And that's what you're seeing and experiencing in our network, and that's what you're seeing in the book of Acts. It might sound ambitious, it might sound crazy, it might sound like a stretch, but that's what we see happen right after this passage. Because people were coming to know Jesus, people were coming to be a part of the church, and then God used persecution to scatter those believers all over the place. They didn't just stay as 3,000 people in one spot. They were sent to tons of other villages and towns and cities And they didn't say, all right, well, I guess the band's broke up. I guess I'm done. No, they said, the gospel is still the same. The mission is still the same. I still have the Holy Spirit. We still have the church. And I'm going to live this DNA. I'm going to multiply my family where I am. In fact, there was a a man named Barnabas who was a part of that first church. And I just want to highlight some things that took place in his life and in his ministry today because I think they're a great guide for what God can do through us. I think sometimes we sit in the church and we think like, well, I'm always going to live here. I'm always going to live exactly where I am and have this job and go to this church and do this. and, And we don't know that. I think that if we're going to be faithful to what God is doing with the gospel and with our mission and with the Holy Spirit, we should be asking God, what do you want from me? What are you asking me to do? How are you asking me to multiply the gospel? How are you asking me to live on mission? What do you want from me next? How are you asking me to be faithful and to respond? We already looked at a passage in Acts 2, and I know you're going through some of these passages in the future, but I want to just highlight 
the life of Barnabas because he was part of this first church. And here's some of the snapshots we have of them. This is from Acts chapter 4, just describing Barnabas. The group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind, and no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but everything was held in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. For there was no one needy among them, because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds from the sales and placing them at the apostles' feet. The proceeds were distributed to each as anyone had need. So Joseph, a Levite who was a native of Cyprus, called by the apostles Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and placed it at the apostles' feet. The gospel goes out. People respond to the gospel. People repent to the gospel. God is transforming lives. God is changing their lives. And God is gifting them the Holy Spirit to build the church. And we see that happening quickly here in the book of Acts. And you might hear that and think like, okay, cool. So they were all like eating meals together and having some fun together. And a guy sold a field. That's great. And yet what we're seeing is obedience. Barnabas knew that Jesus had changed his life. He knew that he was saying, God, whoever I am, wherever I am, you have all of me right now. What do you want from me to multiply the gospel and multiply your church? What are you asking me to do to be obedient? And in that moment, he was a guy. He was a new believer. He was part of this young emerging church. And it looks like God put on his heart, you've got that field that I've given you, and I want you to sell that right now to meet the needs of people. And so there were people who were struggling. There were people who were going without. There were people who needed food and clothing and shelter, whatever. And he sold that field. He said, he said God, here's what I've got. Here's who I am right now. And I'm holding that before you with open hands. Use it. And he leveraged everything he had and everything he was for the gospel. And he sold that field. Well, let's fast forward to Acts chapter 11. I want to read verse 19 to you. Acts eleven nineteen. this is the snapshot we have in the life of Barnabas now. Now those who had been scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one but Jews. But there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene among them who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks too, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. A report about them came to the attention of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a significant number of people were brought to the Lord. The gospel took root in the first church. The Holy Spirit sent them out and gave them power. And as the gospel took hold, there were moments where people had to say, all right, God, what are you calling me to next? What are you calling us to next? And I'm sure when there was one church with 3,000 people, many of those people could sit back in the sidelines and say, all right, those are the people that teach. Uh, those are the people that encourage. And I'm just kind of like the dude in the 12th row, and we're kind of hanging out, and I'm hugging some people and dapping them up. And when we get together, I try to smile and just love everybody. And suddenly the mission changed because they were scattered. They were sent out because of persecution. And so they didn't have that same body. They didn't have that same church group that they had had. And, and as there were new believers, there had to be new leaders, people that were saying, God, what are you asking me to do to, 
to advance the gospel and to build this church, this group of believers where you put me. And in one moment, there was a guy named Barnabas that could sell a field. But we look at the math there and we fast forward seven chapters and that's not what God wanted from Barnabas anymore. Because the gospel had grown in him. The gospel had multiplied in him. It doesn't say this, but I can assume that this guy had a little more confidence, a little more comfort. And when when God said, I want you to go, he didn't say, he said, all right, I can handle that. And he's now the kind of guy that you send in when things require a little more. He's helping establish these churches in new places. He's He's a church planner, I guess you could say. He's going and sharing the gospel, and he's pulling these believers together and giving them community. But the heart is still the same. He's just a guy who listened to God. He's a a guy who, who said, all right, I know the gospel. I trust the gospel. I believe in the church. I believe in our mission. I've got the Holy Spirit. God, what do you want from me next? And he listened to God and responded to the opportunities that were before him. Verse 25 says this, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a significant number of people. Now it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Just a couple of throwaway verses in the, in the book of Acts, I think. But, but you look at what happens there. Do you know who that guy Saul was? He became Paul. God got a hold of his life and he became basically the greatest missionary of all time, the greatest church planner of all time. And who was Barnabas? The guy that raised him up. And you want to talk about a church that must have had it going on because that's where people started being called Christians. They must have been doing something right. And that's all because Barnabas said, God, here's who I am and here's where I'm at and here's what I've got and I believe in the gospel, and I believe in the mission of the church. What do you want from me? What are you calling me to do? And to start off, that was selling a field. Then it was saying, okay, God, I'll go encourage those believers. And then it was, yeah, I guess I'll talk to this Saul guy that maybe some people are still afraid is going to kill us all because he used to be a little crazy and used to kill Christians. And he was developing leaders and planting churches and encouraging believers and establishing churches and just saying yes to the next thing that God called him to. In Acts 14, we see him going to Iconium and Lystra and Antioch and Syria and encouraging all of these believers and establishing these churches. And he's just still saying, God, what's the next thing that you want from me? What can I do to multiply the gospel? What can I do to encourage the church? What can I do to be obedient and respond to what you're doing? And he didn't stop asking that question. He didn't quit with that question. He just kept saying, God, here's my life. I'm sure he wasn't impressive. I mean, he had a cool nickname, Son of Encouragement. That's awesome, right? But but originally, he was just a guy that that had a field. And then he was a guy that traveled a lot and probably didn't own a lot of things because he sold that field. And then he was a guy that hung out with shady people like Saul, who would become Paul, that no one really knew if they liked him or not. And he probably was traveling a little too much that he didn't really have his own group of friends or people. And yet he was saying, God, here's who I am. Here's what I've got. What do you want from me? How are you calling me to multiply disciples, to multiply leaders, to multiply the gospel, to multiply the church? How do you want me to respond in obedience? Repentance leads to multiplication here and there. 
I don't know that everyone here is called to go buy a field, because I'm assuming no one here owns a field, and then turn around and sell it. I don't know that God is, okay, one guy owns a field. I see the farmer in the back. I get it. I get it. All right. Congrats. Congrats. Right? But I don't, I don't know that God wants you to sell a field. I don't know that God wants you to suddenly just move and live out of your car and start planting churches and encouraging believers. But I know that as we're, as we're responding to the Holy Spirit, we should always be asking, God, what are, what are you calling me to do? What does obedience look like for me in this season? And how do you want me to invest in your church? See, we've been given the scriptural mandate. The Great Commission tells us to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And so wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you should be doing that. You can do that as a young life leader. You can do that as a farmer. You can do that as an actuary. You can do that as a teacher. You can do that as a nurse. You can do that wherever you are. You can represent light and represent the gospel. And here in your local church context, you can multiply your leadership. You can apprentice people and teach them to do what you're doing, to have confidence and to be a leader and multiply your impact and multiply your groups and multiply your missional communities. We're called to leverage our lives and our experience and our gifts and who we are and where we are for the gospel and the church. And sometimes that means sending believers or, or gathering believers where they already are. And focusing what God is doing and giving it definition and giving people a local church to depend on. That's the story of our network. That's the story of the book of Acts. And that's the story of this church. Our our church made a list years ago of places we thought there could be some local churches in Columbus. We know that there are people that are are living out the gospel, but just some places where we thought, you know what, This, this place could use a little extra light and a little extra encouragement. And guess what was on that list? Grandview. That was long before I knew who Trey Gilmore was. That was long before I started coming down here to go to restaurants and feel cool about myself. We just knew that there needed to be a church here. And as God brought about that opportunity, as we met Trey, as as many of you used to call Movement Church your home and said, hey, we think we could be a part of of an established church down there, God brought definition to that. And many of you responded It probably wasn't easy to walk away from something established, to walk away from the places that God had you, to move your homes and and to come here and sacrifice some of the community you had known, but, but you were being obedient. And you had the gospel, you trusted the gospel as your mission, you trusted the Holy Spirit, and you said, God, what do you want next for me so that I can build your church? We've seen that happen in a a couple of people over the last years in our church. There's a guy named Andrew who's a, a carpenter a Finnish woodworker, and he was working at the house of one of our elders, and our elder Don is just a talkative guy that's fun to be around, and so they would talk as as Andrew was on breaks. And eventually Don said, hey, you should come to my church sometime. And Andrew's like, hey, I like you, I like people, I will come to your church. And he just, he showed up, and he started making friends, and he joined one of our, our small groups, our movement groups, and he started making a home there, and he started to ask, hey, could I ever lead one of these groups? And we had the awkward conversation where we were like, Andrew's not a believer. Should we tell him that? Or should we just, just let him lead a group? Or, you know, he's just a guy that loved, he loved seeing Jesus. He loved our community. And so we're like, hey, maybe not yet, Andrew. And a couple years later, his wife got baptized. And he was like, hey, what do I have to do to be baptized? And we're like, well, here's the thing. Uh, you haven't given your life to Jesus yet. And, and eventually he said, well, I want to I do that. And so he he gave his life to Jesus, and he said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through the Bible this year. I'm going to be in a men's group. I'm going to be in a small group study. And he, he just started attending our church with, with a little more focus. And, and this next fall, the, the movement group that he's been in, that he stepped up to be an apprentice leader in, is going to multiply. And Andrew, who wasn't a believer a few years ago, 
is going to lead a group of, of, of other believers because God multiplied the gospel in him and multiplied his leadership and multiplied that impact. And he used one of our elders named Don to do that. Also, a couple of years ago on Easter, this guy named Randy showed up at church. Randy was friends with the Warnock family. He lived in their neighborhood, and they're pretty cool. And they said, hey, you should come to our church. And he was like, okay. So he did. And Randy, similar to Andrew, loved people and loved our community and just started hanging out and coming to church every week. And when we said, hey, you should get in a movement group, he's like, all right. So he jumped in a movement group. And he was coming to that group, and, and uh, his wife is like the Joanna Gaines of Hilliard, I guess, is how I would describe her. And so we were like, hey, would you guys ever want to host this group? And they're like, absolutely. And so they started hosting this group. And, and, and Randy said, hey, I've found out as I've hung out here more, I don't know a lot about Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through the whole Bible this year. And he read the whole Bible that year. And he would send me questions, like things like, hey, how come armies are killing people in the Old Testament? That doesn't feel very godly. Just text me these things at like 11 p.m. and I'd wait till the next morning to respond. Like, okay, how do I tell this to, to Randy? And he would just say the, the funniest things. But later that year, he, he gave his life to Jesus. And he was already hosting that movement group. And so when our group multiplied, I said, hey, Randy, would you want to be my apprentice leader? I see, I see gifts in you. I see leadership in you. And I think you could lead a group like this someday. And Randy wasn't perfect. Randy wasn't a Bible scholar. He had read the Bible literally once. But he didn't say, oh, you have to lead it, read it five times to, to lead a group. He just said, God, this is who I am and where I am. And yeah, I want to respond. I want to see the gospel multiply. And so right now, our group has been meeting this year, and he's been that apprentice leader, and that's how God has, has grown him. A couple years ago, when we were sending the Three Creeks Church church plant to Gehanna, there was a guy in our church who had been doing his Ph.D. at Ohio State. And he had kind of set up that he was going to have a job here in the area. His name was Tyler. He was buying his first home with that first job and finishing his Ph.D. And he was kind of leading a group, and he'd been a leader at our church. And he called me one night, and he's like, hey, I know we're planning a church, and, and you said we should all pray about going on that church plan. And I've, I've realized I, I could go on that church plan. I'm getting ready to buy a home. I don't, I don't have a, my lease will expire. I don't have a home anywhere. Do you think I should buy a home in Gehanna? And... Part of me wanted to say, absolutely not, because you're going to have a PhD, and you're going to make a ton of money, and it's going to be awesome, and you could tithe in my church. <laughs> but, but he asked a fair question, and I, I, just in that moment, I said, yeah, I, I do think you should buy a home in Gehanna. I, I don't think that everyone has to be struck by lightning to tell them to be a part of a church plant, but I think you know the gospel, and you know the gospel needs multiplied, and wherever you are, you're going to multiply disciples and multiply believers, and this is an opportunity where God's made it pretty obvious, hey... You can, you can go a few different places right now. You're upwardly mobile. And so the Gorhams bought a house in Gehanna, and they were core members of the launch team of Three Creeks Church, and Tyler is now an elder in that church. And that church and, and movement church were able to send people and invest in Contrast Church. And so God used him buying a house in Gehanna to establish a church that will establish in a church that will establish a church. See, the gospel doesn't change the gospel leads to repentance, and repentance leads to multiplication. And we should care about multiplication here. You should absolutely care about Columbus and the different neighborhoods you represent and Grandview. And I should absolutely care about Hilliard, and Three Creeks Church should absolutely care about Gehanna. But we want to see the gospel multiplied here and there. 
And to do that, we need people who are always going to ask God, what are you asking me to do to multiply the gospel and multiply your church? And the application of that might be today that God wants you to go home and share your faith with your roommate. Maybe God wants you to share your faith with the people that you live with, the people that, that you work with, the people that you stand around the water cooler every day and say, hey, you think the Browns will be terrible again this year? Yes, they will be terrible, right? Maybe you could talk about a little more next time you're at the water cooler. Maybe God is saying, hey, I've multiplied the gospel in you, and it's time for you to lead a small group or to lead another community. And maybe God is saying, hey, I want you to be a part of that next church plan. Or maybe God's going to move your job where there's going to be a next church plan, and you don't even know about it. But we want to be faithful where we are, respond to the gospel, repent in our lives and let Jesus transform us so that we can care about multiplying the gospel here and there. Repentance leads to multiplication here and there. And there's no secret sauce in our network. The secret sauce is the gospel. The secret sauce is God's word. But I think something that we're trying to keep our eyes on and stay focused on is, Jesus, where are we right now? What have you given us? What have you put in our hands? And how can we be faithful with what you've given us? So in a couple years, when, when Trey stands up here and says, hey, we've been praying about something and saving money for something, and we think God has called us to plant a church in fill-in-the-blank area, you're not going to be shocked by that. And you're not going to get mad when your friends say, hey, we're going to go on that launch team. You're going to say, I love you and I respect you, and I'll see you in heaven. And you're going to go and do that, and I'm going to stay faithful here. And until that time, you're going to multiply your small groups, your missional communities. You're going to multiply discipleship so that when it's ready to send some people, you're able to do that with confidence because the gospel multiplies in us and the gospel multiplies in communities and the gospel multiplies churches. And Jesus gave away the keys to his kingdom to 11 people that were kind of screw-ups, right? 12 people that were kind of screw-ups, if Jesus can give away the keys to the kingdom, I think we can do the same. And so we want to give away the keys to the kingdom and let the gospel multiply here and there. Let me pray as we transition. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the book of Acts. Thank you for just the encouragement that it is. And God, we are just so excited about what you're doing here at Contrast. Lord, I pray that they will have a DNA that continues to multiply. God, we pray that you will give people a confidence in the gospel that they can share their faith, they can multiply leaders, they can multiply small groups, and ultimately we can multiply churches. God, help our repentance and transformation to give us your heart for multiplication. Help us to care about here. Help us to care about there. God, help us to have your heart for people and your heart for the church. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit Contrast.Church.